Thanks for listening to the Community Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Pastor Dan Strutz here. Our desire is to connect people with Christ and community. For more info or to contact us, please visit cbcmountainlake.com. Well, that song I, I asked Angela to play, uh, just to think about the shepherds. Um, I can't imagine being in the middle of a field at night and just kind of minding your own business, doing what you've always done, uh, making sure you're you're watching the sheep and trying to keep the sleep out of your eyes, and all of a sudden a bright, glorious light shows up and shows around. I imagine that that would have been a story to tell for years and years to come for all the angels and. Uh, or for all the angels, for all the shepherds, and and their the, to their friends. I mean, I imagine they would have been sitting there saying, "Everybody, do you do you know what I saw? Like I was there. Like you wouldn't believe it." And, and this morning, I want to focus in on that story of the angels coming and greeting the shepherds. There are a lot of Christmas texts, and and really beyond what we see in Matthew and Luke, the the two kind of traditional Christmas stories. Uh, You could point a whole ton of texts in the scriptures to this coming. Everything in the Old Testament, all the stuff we've been learning in Isaiah, all kind of points to this event, Jesus coming. And this morning, I want to spend a little bit of time on a Sunday to uh, put our last message, the the last chapter of Isaiah on the shelf for for a little bit. We're going to come to consider this message of Christmas and what the angels brought as good news to the shepherds. So I, I want to, like I said, focus in on the angels and the shepherds, but at the same time, I, I just want to comment that there's kind of a, as a pastor preaching this text, Luke 2, there's a little bit of a risk with it because this is a text that is probably the most familiar text in the scriptures. I mean, there are so many people that hear this and it's in Christmas pageants and families read it at Christmas time and it's a really beautiful passage but it also becomes one that we kind of have our mind already wrapped up around what the picture looks like and so the challenge I want to just encourage us this morning as we enter in is to really listen to the Lord to really ask Lord what do you have for me what do you want me to hear out of this that it's not just the same old there there are things that we need to be reminded of in the passage of the shepherds and Jesus's birth, but at the same time, Lord, what are you pressing in on me, and what do you want me to hear as we hear a message about God's glory being announced from Luke 2? So this morning, I would just ask, let let us go and approach this word, this scripture, and say, God, there's something here. What do you have? And let us hear it so that we can truly appreciate what God is doing at this Christmas time that we celebrate. So with that, let me, let me pray, and then we'll go into Luke 2, and we'll read verses 1 through 20. Luke 2, 1 through 20. But let's approach the Lord in prayer before God. Father God, we thank you so much that we can gather as a people this Sunday morning. Our, our normal Sunday of, of gathering as a, a church family, as a church body, worshipers of you. But we know that this Sunday seems a little more special with songs that are a little more familiar and a text that is going to be very familiar. We, we look this morning to the reminders of what you've done, great reminders of you coming.
coming and being with us. Lord, stir in our hearts something. Spirit, may we be encouraged by this news. May we be reminded of your grace. And may we be thinking about that it's not just your birth, but it was your whole life and all the way to your death and your resurrection that we want to celebrate. Lord, this morning may we worship you with our our ears and our hearts. May I honor you with my lips as I speak these words and I ask, Lord, that it's you that does the work. And Lord, I, I thank you and praise you this morning that we can gather and look to you and what you've done. So we thank you and praise you in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's read from Luke 2, if you will. Join me there. Again, I, I, this is so familiar. Uh, many of you could probably close your eyes and read this passage with me. It says there, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that, was, that all the world should be registered. This is the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each in his home, own hometown. And Joseph also went up from Galilee and from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Familiar, right? We've heard it before. And for 2,000 years, uh, people have been saying this story again and again uh, on Christmas and, and from, the, from the sermons that we preach at this time. And we hear this and we get images in our head, shepherds and mangers and Mary pregnant and then giving with child, this beautiful image. It really is a significant event. It's something that we uh, remind ourselves of all the time. We put a nativity scene on our stage up here, and it reminds us of this event, and we have these images that we get this time of year. 
It really is a significant event, a significant birth. But I think what we need to see in this passage that Luke gives us as he's writing is that it goes truly unnoticed. That the significant birth goes uh, just kind of flies under the radar, if you will, uh, with the people and the things that are going on in Bethlehem. It's a significant event, but it's overshadowed by what the world sees as a major event, and that's where uh, Luke starts off, a census ordered by this guy named Caesar, Caesar Augustus. He, we know him from this story. He was uh, the ruler of the time, and he felt that he could just kind of Uh, show how big his kingdom by drawing people and and counting how many there were. Uh, We're going to kind of fly through these first seven verses, but uh, what what we need to see, at least just to consider, is, is that here we have a story that starts off with a man who's trying to prop himself up to be God, and yet it's really, truly a story about God becoming a man incarnate, isn't it? It's a story of a, of a king, of a ruler who thought that he could bring peace to his world, the, the Pax Romana, the I have conquered everything and now we have peace. But instead, it's God stepping in and saying, no, truly I bring peace. It's a Caesar who says, my kingdom is great and glorious and I'm going to count all the people. And yet God says, I am going to show how great I am by coming as a quiet servant in Bethlehem. It's the world would... The world would look at this and what Caesar did and and would celebrate how loud and boastful it is. Yet Luke suggests, he kind of primes the pump with, with these stories to kind of make us note how insignificant this birth seems. At least in verses 1 through 7. Look at verses 4 through 5. It says, Joseph, he, he went from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And it goes on to talk about how he's taking his wife with him, who was with child, and then they have this child while they're there. Luke is pointing us towards this unmarried couple that is painfully moving to Bethlehem. I've never been pregnant, but I imagine that going at that time would not have been fun. Moving and traveling, whether they had a donkey or not, they, they're moving towards Bethlehem. And then when they're chosen, when they get there, they have this child. This isn't what they would have chosen. I mean, you think about it. Mary's family is all the way back, uh, that she's gone to be with Joseph's family. And they, they're in an unfamiliar surrounding, and they got to put a baby, this kid, their firstborn, in kind of un- uncomfortable conditions. There's no room for them. We know that. And so they're put by the animals in a feeder trough, and the baby's forced to lie there. And it seems in this text that no one's going to notice this story, at least so far that we have verses 6 down through 7. As she's just with this child, it seems so innocent, but it also seems like it's a real inconvenience for them. But this significant birth that goes unnoticed by the world, it has a sudden twist in verse 8. In verse 8, we know that the shepherds are out there, and we know what's coming, but we hear in the same region there were shepherds in the field. In the same region, they were out away from the, the town, many people would say maybe a mile away or so. They were away with their flocks, 
And they, they, they're shepherds. They're doing what they do. They're watching sheep. And they're, they're minding their own business. And the question that I want to ask us here is, why shepherds? Have you ever thought about that? Why shepherds? I mean, really, we know that shepherds comes up a lot in the scriptures, that, that we know that there's a lot of correlation there. But, but that correlation with these dudes that are in the field never lines up with who God is. So it's not that they needed to be shepherds, at least from a, a standpoint of comparing them with God, because that's not what they're ever compared to. They could have been any other profession. They could have been merchants. They could have been uh, fishermen like Jesus goes to. They could have been tax collectors. They could have been anything in the world. But why shepherds? Why shepherds? I mean, we know that shepherds is kind of this idea that we have throughout the scriptures. We know other guys like Moses and David, they were shepherds for a time. We know that Psalm 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. It props that idea up. But again, there's no comparison with these guys in Bethlehem and them being a shepherd. So why them? If you think about it again, David and and Moses, when they were, it was actually a rather humiliating job. It wasn't something that you would want to take on. It was a lowly position for them. We need to see the idea of shepherds as as the historical idea that it was a really insignificant or really low on the totem pole job. And, And it's not something that you or I would have wanted. It's like the equivalent of some kid that, that goes to their class and says, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it's like, I want to be the garbage truck driver. Like, that's low and, and where they would be in the spectrum, of the hierarchy of business. At best, it was a profession that would literally stink. At, but at worst, and probably really why Luke is, uh, why God chose to go to them, is that these people were truly lowlifes. They were insignificant. They were ones, like I said, that you would not want to be. One commentator, this is interesting, one commentator, and this is like year, this is like a thousand years ago they're commenting or more, that they said that, that these shepherds in this time, they probably would have been just seen just a step above a leper. Like a leper was one that you didn't want to be. It was untouchable. It was unapproachable. People looked at you funny. And shepherds were just a hair above them. That's who the angels will be going to, are people that are super low on the totem pole. What's worse is because you, if you were a shepherd and you were a nomadic person that lived out in the fields and, and you kind of traveled from place to place, culture, society probably looked at you kind of uh, with suspicion and, and suspect, like kind of like they would look at a thief. My mind kind of went to how we treat, if you go up to the cities or someplace and you, you're driving down the road and you suddenly see a panhandler sitting there and they're starting to approach your car. I, I, I don't know if you've ever done this, but you know that the culture kind of moves us towards some people will sit there and, and, and click lock on the doors and keep their eyes fixed on the road and watch as the, the person on the side of the road as they just kind of drive by and try not to make eye contact. That's how you would have looked at a shepherd. That's how you would have seen these guys who the angels are coming to. The idea that is being communicated when we ask why shepherds is that these guys are insignificant. These guys are insignificant. And yet they're given glorious news. The shepherds, they were looked down upon. They were despised. No one would have wanted to be one. And they, of course, would not be credible witnesses. So why would God go to them first? Why would God use guys that are, are, are considered 
outcasts and, and not worthy of, uh, of being uh, such high and lifted up status. I think it's very similar to in John's gospel. We know the story there. John meets, uh, or Jesus, he meets who? The, the woman at the well, this, this woman who, who has been sleeping around and, and isn't very religious and has shame written all over her. But yet Jesus goes and meets her and uses her to proclaim him. God gives them, that God gives, uh, cares and gives great joy and a newness, a new name. Why did God use the woman at the well? Why did he use the shepherds? Because he likes taking the lowly, the broken, the despised, and giving them high status in his kingdom. uh, To give them an important role. Why shepherds? Stop and consider that for a moment, the the significance of of what's going on here, the significance of shepherds being inserted in the story. They're they're not just cute with their lambs, but they are are really something that is is unique. Why would God go to them? And again, I think it's really to point out who his kingdom is for, the lowly, the broken, the unexpected. We could ask the same question, why would God come and give this message to us? Why would God give us to us? It's not because we're high and mighty or we have something to offer. It's because we come broken and not deserving, and He lifts us up. He gives us this message as well. We know that the angels appear. One angel first, probably Gabriel, and also the, around him, God's glory. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone around them not just the angel that has the glory, it's actually the Lord's glory that shows up. The presence of God is what's showing up with this angel. It's important to know that it's not just the angel, but there's something about it. God's spirit, God's presence, and fear overwhelms them. It's really kind of similar to when we've been studying through Isaiah, and Isaiah, he he gets that vision of God and being in God's presence, and he's overwhelmed, and he's fearful, And in the same way, these shepherds think that they're about to die because the glory of the Lord is so great and they realize in front of God, as I think we all should, that we are a broken people. We don't deserve to be because of our sin, our brokenness. These shepherds are fearful. They're cowards. They don't know what to do. And the angel says, what? Fear not. You're not. That's a word that is good news, and it's really full of grace. Literally, they're saying, I bring you good news of great joy, and that really is saying, I am covering you with good news. I am covering you with gospel. I am giving you hope that when you are fearful before an almighty God, they're saying, no, there is hope for you. There's something good coming your way. And what we need to see in that is from day one, when they say, I bring you good news of great joy, that from day one, from the moment that Jesus comes, we see the gospel good news going to undeserving, unexpected uh, people who God is saying, I love you and care for you, and I'm going to do something about you. I care. The angel's message is full of grace, and it's a gospel message for these shepherds. They're heralds, and they're saying, we're passing on the message from God that we have from Him, and we're passing it on to you. We're giving you this news, and it's not just for you. It's not for you to just kind of 
hold on to and cling tightly. It's for you to tell others about. We said that, that the shepherds were to go tell it on the mountain. And that's what we are to do, that this message, this hope that starts to come through the angel's announcement of an insignificant birth, but a a really glorious event of a a child, it it really is a big deal. It's to be passed on. Gets to the message, verse 11. What is the message? A child born to you today, right now, one born. And that that message, it leads into these three terms that are used in succession. Savior, Christ, and Lord. Look at them there. Savior, Christ, and Lord. This is the only place in the Gospels where these three terms are sandwiched together. Savior, the one who saves, that implies what? That we need saving, that we have something that we are, 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 are in trouble with, that we need to be rescued from, uh, a, a sin problem, a, 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 a problem of being enslaved to our issues, both of ourself and from others, the world around us. The idea is that this child, this baby, this insignificant a child to the world is great because he is one that will save you from your problems. Save you from the, the hurts and the brokenness. And most importantly, save you from your relationship issue with God. And it goes on to say, Messiah, Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the one that Israel has longed for and waited for. Uh, since Isaiah, when, when we been reading and studying that for 700 more years. The people waited and waited for this one. It's the Messiah. It's saying, this is the one that Isaiah spoke of. This is the one that David was promised. This is the one that Abraham, this is the one that came and was promised all the way back from the Garden of Eden when sin entered in. The seed, the child that would come, this is finally him. But most of all, it says he's Lord, which the idea here is that he is God not just a man, it's not just a baby, it's not just one who can save or, or a, another Israelite. This is God, and that is a huge message. God incarnate, as we've been singing. It's a big theology that is given to shepherds that are, are given, and they are encouraged to consider just who this is, this glorious news of one coming who's like no other. And he tells them, angel tells him, he promises him right where they are to find him. In a manger, mom, dad, with a baby wrapped. Not in a palace, not in a throne, not in some high and lifted up place like Caesar was, but in someone's barn laying in a cattle pen. Now this moves to a later point, but the question is, why would he say that? Why would the angel say, you will find him there. I think it's because for him, the baby, they didn't want to just tell him about him, but there was an expectation on the shepherds that they were supposed to go and worship and be with their Savior, their Messiah, their God. He expects them to go. But before we see them go, we need to see one other thing to the message, this glorious announcement 
It goes much further than just saying, hey, there is a, a, a child born, but it, it speaks not of who he is, but what he will do. And that's what happens when these other angels show up. That a path to peace is beginning here. That something is beginning. It's the ushering in of something new. Look at what Luke is saying here. He, he wants us to hear a little bit something more. Uh, as God inspires him and he tells of this story, he hears of not just one angel, but of many. It says that a host of angels showed up. And uh, to be honest, this is the part that really, as I, as I looked at this passage, this is the part that just kind of blew my mind. Or, or as I considered this in, in terms of the bigger picture of Luke, that really just sticks out as like, there is so much richness here. It says, suddenly a multitude of, our, uh, of angels, an army, literally they break forth. And, and that's kind of a rare event that you would have lots of angels showing up. It doesn't happen in scripture that often. Many angels. And they're singing, praising God. They're worshiping Him. This is not a, a, a request. It's not a, a something of, of a prayer that, that, hey, I hope that God is glorious. No, it's a statement. God is glorious. It's kind of like a, uh, I don't know if you've ever watched a, a, uh, a, a, a music award show and they'll have one singer and then all of a sudden like the curtain is pulled back and there's like a giant army behind them of, of choir singers singing. It's kind of like that where it's like, these people, they just kind of bust forth, and all of a sudden the, the, the crescendo gets louder and louder. Here they're praising, and I, and I believe there's two reasons for that. One is probably because God sent them. That's a good reason. But the second reason, and I think that this is when we think of the angels, it's because they wanted to go, and they say, wanted to sing. They wanted to praise God for what he was doing. Peter speaks of this kind of thing when he says, Angels were longing to look forward to this event. They were looking forward to when the Christ would come. It's a glorious redemption. Humankind is being redeemed in this event, this child coming. But as I said, I think Luke is trying to indicate not just his birth, but all the way through his life, a couple things. Look at what they say. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he has pleased. Two things for us to pick up on here. It says, glory to God in the highest. I already mentioned it's a statement of fact. It's, it's not just uh, a request or a prayer. This is saying, God is glorified in high. In what he's doing right now, in this moment, he is glorious. They are celebrating that. They're excited because God is doing something. He's bringing peace to earth. And what's playing out on earth, he says, this peace that's coming, we have to ask, well, what kind of peace is that? Is that peace that we wish for at Christmas time, whether it be peace from war? Is that peace from family conflict that we have? Is that an emotional, internal peace? Or is there something more going on? He says, glory to God in highest, peace on earth. The parallel kind of idea of what's going on up there and what's going on down here in this Christ child coming. The idea of peace coming, I think, has to do with God reconciling us to himself. This relationship problem that we've had all time, that, that, that people have had. And that's what uh, Charles Wesley, the song that we'll sing in a little bit, he says that these angels were singing. They were singing of God reconciling sinners to himself, making the relationship right again. I think that this is 
what he's trying to get at when he's telling this angel story, what they're doing, because this same word is echoed way at the end of the Gospel of Luke. This idea of glory to him in the highest. Flip a few pages over to chapter 19. Chapter 19, if you're going there and reading this, this idea of a glorious message, of a path to peace. Jesus, who was born and ushered in with the angels, he was proclaimed again at his, uh, at his triumphant entry when he's entering in the city. There it says, as they were drawing near to the city, we know this story. It's right before the Easter, right as he's going to his crucifixion, as he's drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praising God. It sounds again as if we have another choir of angels, but this time they're humans, disciples. They began rejoicing and praising God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And it goes on to say that the Pharisees rebuked them, but he said, If they were silent, the very stones would cry out. This idea that Luke is getting at at the end of his life, at the end of Jesus' life, echoes what was heard in the beginning, that there is glory to be with what God is doing in this time. It is to suggest that from beginning to end, Jesus came to bring peace with his whole life and ultimately into his death. Just by comparison, Matthew and Mark, they use totally different words for that event of the triumphant entry. Luke matches and blends and says this whole life has been for one purpose. It's to bring peace to those with whom Jesus or God is pleased. We hear that word among whom all among who is pleased in verse 14, peace among those who with whom he is pleased and for some of you that are a little bit more old school, you might remember songs or, or places where you hear the words, uh, and on earth, goodwill towards man. This translation from the King James Version is a little bit of a, a different sounding one. It has a ring to it almost as if we've earned something from God. But this translation that we have in front of us, most of these modern translations, it says, peace among those whom he is pleased. And we need to ask ourselves there, who is God pleased with? Is it us? Is it our good deeds? Is it something that we've earned that God is pleased with us? Well, no. We know that we're sinful, broken. And instead, in chapter 3 of Luke, he says that Jesus' baptism, what? God says to him, it's you I'm pleased with. It's you, Jesus, the Christ. I'm pleased with your life and where it's going and where you're heading and depending on me. When this peace comes, it comes first to Christ and through Christ and anyone who's found in him. That's where we find our peace. Trusting alone in this child who will grow up to be a man, who will go to the cross, who will die for us and conquer death. Three days later. The angels are singing about this super significant super big glorious event that's coming for Jesus. It starts at his birth and the idea already is that Easter is already in view as the angels are singing. They're already moving forward all the way through his life when the glorious work will happen. God is pleased with Christ, his son, who's lying there in swaddling clothes in the manger 
and, and who will become uh, for us, for these shepherds, for the world, a savior for us. And the thing that I want and the, the thing that comes to mind that I want us to pick out of this third verse, shepherds undeserving, lowly, coming baby Jesus for them, is that this story points us not to just celebrate that he came, but we need to celebrate why he came. That this path of peace, it starts in Bethlehem and it will end on the cross at Calvary and with an empty tomb later on. So where do we go from there? The proper response to passages that these shepherds, the angels go away and they're left in the dark, literally in the dark. And they have to choose, what will we do? And it it kind of points that the shepherds had to choose either to say, wow, that sounds really cool. Wow, we have a great story. Angels showed up. Or they could sit there and say, we need to go. We need to go to this Jesus, this child, this one we've been told about. They needed to show action. It wasn't just good enough to have uh, their mind and just set their mind on it and say, okay, we believe that that's good. They showed it and they had were like a, an action that followed out of their belief of what this happened, of what had just happened. It became a matter of needing to worship, of laying aside their life, of just letting go of where they were at and going to this child. Let us go. Let us see, they say. This child, this baby. But much more, they say, this thing that has happened. Verse 15, let us go see what this thing that has happened. Let us go see this redemptive plan that has been put in motion. It's bigger than just the nativity. This is the redemption of the world that will go through all the gospel of Luke. And it's something that he's made known, they say, to us. What he's revealed to us. What he's reminded us of. And and this is the question that I want us to consider this morning. Consider why shepherds insignificant. We consider what what the message was that that was brought to them. But for a moment, some of you guys that are here may think that Christmas is awesome. I mean, you're all into the decorations. uh, The Christmas tree was up the day after Thanksgiving. Your presents have been wrapped in under the tree for weeks. You're all about the Christmas cookies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there's there's also others of us here who Christmas is painful. It's dreadful. It is just something we don't look forward to. And whether you're at one end of the spectrum or the other, what we need to hear is, most importantly, what the message is, is that this glorious child has come, and we need to go to him. This morning, some of us that love Christmas will get all caught up in, in what Christmas, the decorations and all those things, and from in our heart, we won't necessarily go to him. We won't spend time We won't take a break. We're going to be so in love with the other stuff that we won't pause and reflect on who this is, who the angels say he is. The other side of it is some of us will be in pain and and dreading the Christmas, and we won't come and say, no, there's, there's something great. There's a hope here that is bigger than the decorations. As you've heard this word, will we go to him as God has spoken to us about what God has done? Will we go to him and will we look in at the thing that he's spoken of? This glorious announcement of his glory coming. Will we go to him? Will we uh, look to him? Will we 
follow uh, him with the shepherds to the manger. There's four words that I want us to think on in this passage. Again, it says that they went, they said, let us go, let us see. Later on, it says Mary pondered, and it says that the shepherds went away uh, glorifying and praising God. Those four things this morning are the things I want to say. Will you run to Christ? Will you run to Him? Will you go to Him? Will you spend time with Him? Will you look into what He has done? Will you see? Will you look to this story, not just see it as a, as a cute nativity scene, a, a cute uh, story that we celebrate at Christmas, but will you see and observe, and, and then, like Mary does, will you ponder it? Will you treasure it in your heart? Will you hold on to it and, and look to it and, and love and adore and be thankful for it? And then as the shepherds did, will you go from there and glorify it? Will you praise God this Christmas? Will you spend time rejoicing, singing, not just hymns that you love, but really in your heart, allowing your heart to hear Christmas songs and say, God, thank you, praise you, I glorify you for what you've done. And will you tell others about it? This morning, as we look at this story, we know God has done a great work for those shepherds. And He's done that great work for us. Would you see it as another story, another Christmas, or will we continue to grow, run, and observe Him and worship Him? With that, we're going to sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing to close out our service. But as we go towards that, and as we pray in this time, may we just be reflecting, Lord, I would encourage you, ask the Lord, what do you need me to hear in this? What do you need me to be reminded of? What do you need me to confess that I haven't been worshiping you and thinking on you rightly about Christmas? So let's pray, go before the Lord, and then we'll close out with song. God in heaven who hears our prayers because of what this child did. As he held on to you through life, as he knew no sin, as he walked with you and ultimately served you by laying down his life, taking on our sin, our pain, our shame, dying with it and conquering death. Lord, we are reminded about this message of just who we have lying in a manger. This message of who the shepherds were told about and who they ran to to worship. They didn't just hang out in the field, they went to you. And Lord, this morning, we come to you this morning and ask, Lord, stir in us this Christmas as this festive holiday is coming up in two days and as we're in the midst of the season now may you remind us that whether we love this time of year and need to reflect in on what you've done or whether we are pained by this time of year and we need to reflect on the hope that you bring in the midst of it may we turn to you and, and trust you each of us, there are things in our lives, good and bad, that are going on. We trust you this Christmas season.
worship that child in the beginning. And Lord, we want to sing about it, proclaim it to the rest of the world around us so that they too can hope you, have hope even as babies are born. So Lord, we thank you and praise you this morning, this Sunday where we worship you. We praise you.